Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. We have a few Bibles. We'd love to, to have you follow along with us if you didn't bring a Bible this morning. Does, does anyone need a Bible? All right. Well, let's pray and we'll get into our study this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, as we approach your word, as we approach this text that you have set aside for us on this very day, God, we just pray for you, Holy Spirit, to come. You be the teacher. God, I just pray that you would anoint my lips to, to share your word with your people here that, that would be in a way that's faithful and accurate and honorable and true, God. And it just brings illumination to who you are, to, to who you have called us to be, Father. And I just pray that, that we would grow in the wisdom and revelation of who you are. That, God, you would shine light. God, you'd even flood our hearts with light this morning, God, with clarity. Father, meet us here. Thank you for the preciousness of this church gathering. Thank you for the saints that you've brought. Thank you that we can all focus in on you now as we study your word. We, we lift up all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk, and I'm going to emphasize this. I want to talk in simple terms about light for a few minutes as we open up our Bible study. And again, simple terms. I don't know about about you if you've done any research on this. Light is incredibly complex. Like light's really kind of tricky for for my little pea brain to try and understand enough to give you a lesson on light. So we're just going to stick with the basics. But I want you to know we're going to do a little bit more than to just flick a switch and turn on light, right? We're going to get a little bit more complex. We're going to talk about natural light. We're going to talk about sunlight. And I want you to think about that because I'm going to take this analogy, sunlight, physical light, and I'm going to show in the scriptures how all those same attributes and characteristics are true when it comes to the spiritual light, the illumination that is needed for us to see God. Right? When we think about statements like Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, he's making an analogy, he's taking a metaphor of sense and saying, I am like the physical light, I bring illumination to your very souls. I can show you truth, but I, I just want us to think about it. So light, think about sunlight. Here's some basics. Sunlight arrives to this earth after a speedy little journey of 93 million miles. That's the distance between the earth and the sun. So 93 million miles. Now light travels at 186,000 miles per hour. That's the speed of light. So that little journey... It takes eight minutes for the sunlight to get to this earth. So the light that we see out these windows, bringing illumination here, that that took eight minutes to get here. Which means something could happen to the sun right now, and I would have just barely gotten past the intro of this sermon before we knew about it. Right? But that's, that's what we're seeing. We're, we're trying to wrap our mind around some of this. But one thing that sunlight does, yes, it brings warmth, and, and yes, it brings life. But one of the things that it does is it brings illumination to everything around us. And I want us to think about it. The sun has luminosity. And I've wanted to share that word all week. Luminosity. Which means it's the sunlight that comes and illuminates everything around us so we can see it. It's the sunlight or light that comes that actually reflects off of people and chairs and mountains and streams and lakes so we can see it. Listen, if there was no light, we couldn't see anything. If there's no light, if, if you cut off a light source or you put blinders over your eyes, everything we see and know ceases to exist. Now, not in the way that it's not there exists, but in the way that we can no longer see it. It's, it's as if it's not there because in darkness you can't see anything. 
Just, just remember that statement that if, if you're in darkness, if all there is is darkness, then nothing is visible. And I, I want us to, to kind of wrap our minds around this because this is, this is a, a central theme in our Bibles. In fact, you could make a bold statement, and I guess I will, I'll make a bold statement. You could summarize the entire Bible up in four words. What are those four words? From darkness to light. There's our Bibles. There's the message of the Bible. From darkness to light. And we, we say, well, how is that possible? Well, let's just, let's just remember how it all began. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, in the beginning. But listen, this is Genesis 1 verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But at the very, very beginning, here's the Spirit of God hovering over the earth. And what is the earth? It's without form. It's without void. It's darkness. Right? There's just darkness. Darkness is reigning. Darkness is ruling. Until what happens? Until God says this, Let there be light. And there was. Right? But there it is. That's the very beginning. But if you take this all the way to the ends of our Bibles from darkness in Genesis 1 and you go to Revelation chapter 22, once it's all said and done, Jesus comes back. Jesus deals finally and forever with the darkness. He defeats sin in its entirety. He wipes it out. Everything is over. All things are made new. A new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 22 5 says this, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So Genesis 1-2 says at the beginning there was just darkness. Revelation 22, the end of our book, says there's going to be no more darkness forever and ever. There will be a day where there's no more night ever again. That's glorious. I long for that day. Every single Christian, every single person who's put their faith and hope in Jesus has been born again. That's where we're headed, to a day where there is no more darkness ever again. But right now, for all of us, we still find ourselves in between Genesis 1-2 and Revelation 22-5. We still find ourselves in a place where there is still a physical day and a physical night we still find ourselves in a day where there is still a very real battle between darkness and light, spiritual right and and moral wrong, between truth and lies. That's where we're at. That's where we find ourselves. But I want us to understand, God has a plan even for the middle, right? Even between Genesis 1-2 and Revelation 22, God has a plan. And what is his plan? Jesus has come to turn the light on for us. Jesus has come to turn the light on for people whosoever would call upon his name. That's why Jesus came. One of the reasons why Jesus came. John 1, verses 1 through 5, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we know this is speaking of Jesus. If you don't know, go to John chapter 1 and go down to verse 14 where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. So he's, he's God in the beginning, he's with the Lord, but he's also called the Word. But listen to what he does. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
John is laying out in his gospel account why Jesus came. What is one of the main things he wants to come? To turn the light on in the darkness for every single one of us. To bring illumination to our very hearts and souls to understand who God is, how we can be saved, that we are saved through faith in Jesus, and how we are to walk out these days, these lives in light. But that's what he's saying, and it's beautiful. When it says the darkness did not comprehend it, it means the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness could not lay hold of the light. The darkness could do nothing except flee when the light is turned on and chases it away. I want us to hear this. I'm going to say this a few times because I really want it to set in. When we think about this, this example, what we're talking about, darkness and light, Christians, listen, our job is not to turn the darkness off. Do you catch that? Our job is not to turn the darkness off. Our job is to turn the light on. Right? You turn the light on, light takes care of darkness every single time. We focus our attention a lot saying, I've got to, I've got to overcome the darkness. No, we don't. You've got to turn a light on. Stay with Jesus, who is the vine, and in him we can do all things. But turning the light on is bringing illumination or luminosity to show everything for what it really is. But that is what Jesus has done. He's come to turn a light on in our lives in whosoever would come to faith in him. I put several verses in your study guide about, about this very thing. About how when we come to know Jesus as Lord, we are transferred from darkness into light. Right? That's what Paul says. Is, you were once darkness, but now you've been given the light of life through faith in Jesus. And then we've got all those examples of walking in the light. But I've got one more reference verse I want to show you because it takes this whole thing full circle right to our text today. We've got, we've got God's plan, darkness to light. We've got his plan to turn the light on for us. And then we've got the very purpose of what he asks us as his disciples, his church, his, his followers to do. So one more reference verse. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So what are we seeing here? As we land here, and with this, this intro brings us right to the very text. We've got God's plan to take people from darkness to light. We've got those Christians who have become followers of light, walking in the light, followers of Jesus. And now we've got the charge where he says, so Christians, shine on. Shine your light for all to see. And listen, I'm not just talking about having a glowy countenance. All right, some of you, you are so joyful. It is amazing, and I love it. I'm not saying be less joyful, but I'm not saying just have a shiny countenance. I'm saying let your good works be evident to all. Share the word of truth. Share the gospel so all these things can be looked at as light, and it can point people to the God of heaven and earth. So shine on is, is meaning all those things. Yes, have this countenance, this aura reflect the goodness of being saved in Christ. But yes, take advantage of that opportunity to give a reason for the hope that you have. 
make that defense when the time comes. But this is what's going on. Shine on. And this all ties in together because we're seeing Paul and Silas and Timothy on this second missionary journey where they are going to the ends of the earth to do what? To shine the light of the Lord. To shine the light of the Lord in any place that God calls them to go. And what we're going to see in Acts 13 is three places, three amazing places, if you can zoom out and look at them all, where God's light is powerful enough to save. Right? Three different examples we'll look at as we get back to the text. But that's where we're going. So let's pick back up in the text and kind of get an idea of where we have been. I want to look just quickly here at at verse 8. It says, so chapter 16, verse 8 says, So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now, if you look at this map, you're going to see kind of where they're at. These missionaries are here in Troas, the westernmost part of Asia Minor. And, and why are they there? They're there because the Spirit of God forbid them from going anywhere else. If you can read in the text ahead, you're like, they wanted to go north to Bithynia. They wanted to go into Asia Minor. And it says the Spirit of God said no, forbid them, did not permit them. And that was interesting, right? We talked about that a little bit last week. We call that when you're seeking after the Lord and you run into a closed door. Or maybe a dead end, right? And I want you to know that God is in the closed doors. God is in the dead end sometimes too. Maybe someone's here feeling like, I'm just in a dead end. Listen, God has not left you there without a purpose. Maybe you find yourself in a troas in some regards, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy are at here in Acts chapter 6. But listen, it is better to be at a dead end in a troas with the Lord than anywhere else without him. So stay where you're at. Keep seeking the Lord. Let him do what he's going to do next. He doesn't just close doors. He doesn't just send us to dead ends. Listen, verse 9 says, While they're at Troas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Right? What, What do we see here? This is God opening a door. God also swings wide open doors to answer our prayers, to direct our lives. It is very, very reasonable for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to be sitting here in Troas saying, Lord, where do you want us to go now? Right? They're on the missionary journey. God, lead us, direct us. Where do you want us to go? And it just so happens God answers that prayer with a vision from this man of Macedonia, if you will. But I want you to see this. A lot of speculation gets made. Who is the man of Macedonia? And some make the case that it's a, it's a historically significant person, or maybe it's, maybe it's Luke, a lot of different things. Listen, I want to focus in on the message. Right? We don't know who the messenger is, but the message is, is, what most is, is what is most important here. What's the message? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Come here and help us. And this word help us, it means come bring us aid. Come tend to our needs. And we say, why? What's going on in Macedonia? What if they're saying, come shine some light so we can see the truth here in Macedonia? Why do, why do I think that? Because what is Paul's response? What is Paul's interpretation of this? Verse 10 says, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Why? Concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love that part. I love that part because how often do we have people in our lives crying out for help? And we say, let me Google it for you. 
Or we say, oh, let me see if I can help you with that situation. How often do we decipher that need for help as actually concluding we can share the gospel with them? That's what Paul does here. He says they need help. He, he doesn't go, well, what do they need? He goes, we're going there. We're going to find out and we're going to lead by sharing the gospel. The greatest way we can help anyone in this world who doesn't yet know Jesus is to shine some light so they can see the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God's grace found through faith in Jesus. So that's what he says. We're going to share the gospel. Immediately, they start to go there. So that's what we're going to see them as we pick back up in the text. From Troas, look at where they go. Picking up where we did actually leave off last week, verse 11 says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So you can take a look at this map and just kind of see where they go. Immediately, I love the faithfulness of Paul. He hears from the Lord. Immediately, they make the trip past Samothrace, Neapolis, eventually to Philippi. Now, I love this city of Philippi. This is where we're going to see in Acts 16 the birth of this church in Philippi. When you think of the book of Philippians, that incredible letter to the Philippians, the book of joy, so much awesome truth there. It gets its beginning right here in Acts chapter 16 on Paul's second missionary journey. But there's a lot of things that we see, we're told here about Philippi. Luke, our author to the book of Acts, he tells us that, that, that Philippi is a foremost city. It means it's an important city, a chief city here in Macedonia. He also tells us that it's a Roman colony. Now listen, this doesn't mean it's a, an area occupied by Romans. This means this is supposed to be Rome away from Rome. This is a place that is to have the very existence of Rome, filled with Romans, influential people, living here to be a presence in this part of Macedonia. We've just shown you, they're not over here in Asia Minor anymore. They're not over here in Judea anymore. They're on a separate continent now on this mission field. In a foreign place, amongst foreign people, or in the hotbed of what is the Roman occupation, the Roman Empire during this time. Working their way down towards Corinth and Athens, and we'll see that in a few weeks. But that's kind of what's going on here. A lot that's, that's taking place. But all this to say things are different here. But what's the same? They need to hear the gospel. The light of the Lord needs to be shined here so these people can see. And that's what's happening here in this first situation. They're, they're here for a few days. They're waiting for this first Sabbath, perhaps. And when that first Sabbath comes, it's a great opportunity to see the spiritual condition of this city. Now we see it's, it's not very good. We, we don't see that there's any place inside the city of Philippi that they can go and actually start to engage people about spiritual conversation. There's no synagogue there. 
in this day and age, all it took was 10 Jewish men to come together and say, we want a synagogue, and there would have been a synagogue in Philippi, but there's not. In fact, we have to see this mission team has to leave the city of Philippi to find a prayer meeting that is gathering down by the riverside. A prayer meeting of women who have assembled together. I think this is so beautiful. Paul sees a vision from a man of Macedonia, and the first place he goes is to a prayer meeting full of women. Right? Because that's sometimes the way God works. This is how this church gets its start here in Philippi. This is how God begins his great work. I don't think there's a better place to start a great work of the Lord than in a prayer meeting. And that's where they're at. So Paul shows up, he sits down, he's going to begin to share with them, shine the light and the love of Christ with them. We're not told what Paul does share, but we can be 100% confident he shares the gospel with them. He tells them about Jesus crucified for the sins of the world. He tells them about Jesus resurrected. He tells them that by faith, the grace of God, we're able to be forgiven, justified, saved, brought into relationship with the Lord. He tells them all that. But I wonder, maybe Paul starts to share some of these other words that Jesus would have shared. Maybe he says something like this, quoting from Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. Maybe Paul is moved by the Spirit to say, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now that may seem like kind of a random verse to pull out. Like why, why do I think he would say this verse? Of all the red letters in the Bible, why do, why do I think this verse? Well, the one person that we're told responds by this gospel presentation, the light shining down by the riverbed on this, on this day, is a man named, or woman named Lydia. And the name Lydia, it means travail. That's what her name means. Which means to accomplish something through strenuous effort. Right? She has to travail. And we know that that's pretty consistent with who this woman Lydia is. Right? At this point, we're told she's a seller of purple from Thyatira. Now you can do your research and you can find out where this is. Now Thyatira, I don't have the map up there, but Thyatira is back on the other continent in Asia Minor. But in order to get this, this purple dye to be able to dye these clothing kind of purple or crimson red, you had to collect a whole bunch of tiny little shellfish and then you had to heat them. You can kind of imagine the fragrance that would be coming off of these shellfish while you heat them. Then you crush them to extract enough purple dye to then have a vat to put clothing in to be able to dye it that color. And remember, that's happening in Thyatira, so she has to then go back to Philippi, sell it, go back to Thyatira, more seat, more shellfish, more crushing, more stinking, more smelling, back to sell it in Philippi. Because there's no market in Thyatira. Where's the market? Who wears purple, crimson colored clothing in this day? The Romans did. Where are all the Romans? Here in Philippi and in Rome and, and certainly different places across the Roman Empire, but that's her life. So I think, yeah, she's tired. I think she's, she's physically exhausted. She's been living a life of travail. Now, yes, she's very wealthy. We're going to see she has a home here, probably a home in Thyatira, certainly a home here in Philippi. She's wealthy, but it's come at a cost. It's come at a great cost as it always does, right? We trade our time for the currency of money, and that comes at a cost, but that's where she's at. Now, I, maybe there's some people here who think, you know what, I'm kind of tired. I'm kind of weary. And these same words call out to you. Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And maybe Paul's talking about this while Lydia is sitting here on the riverbed saying, you know what? It feels like God is speaking right to me. Have you ever had that happen? You've been to a place, I've had people come up to me and say, how did you know? I'm like, I didn't know, right? That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. But I think that's what happens here with Lydia because as she hears these words, she sees the light of the Lord shining through Paul's message and it says God opens up her heart to believe and receive the words that Paul is sharing. And Christians, I want you to take that note as well, right? Paul's sharing, Paul's being faithful to shine light. But it's God who saves. It's God who opens up her heart so she receives the word and believes. Right? What's our job? To shine light, to be witnesses, to proclaim the glory of God's amazing grace. What's God's job? God saves. Right? When we think about shining light, we, a lot of us, we, we take Rome, we take the book of John and we go to that John chapter one and we talk about how that in the beginning, here's the Lord and he's going to shine light and we say, but, but people love darkness more than the light. By the time we get to John chapter three, we say, well, hey, they wanted to stay in the darkness. So, so we say, well, why am I supposed to shine my light if all they want to do is stay in the darkness? And listen, I think there's two kinds of people. There are those people who wear blinders over their eyes and say, I want to stay in the darkness. I love the darkness more. I do not want my sin to be exposed. I want to be here. But there's a whole bunch of other people that are just in darkness because they don't have any light. And we need to shake off the one with the blinders. We don't get to let them dictate the way we're called to live our lives. We need to shine light so all those who don't have blinders on can see what is going on here. And so praise God for Paul and Silas and Timothy being here, shining light, so Lydia is able to see and God is able to save. That's how it works. We get to co-labor with the Lord. It's his mission, right? We co-mission with him. It's his pursuit to seek and save. But we get to join him in that. What a privilege. What an honor to be able to turn on some light so some things start to click and God is able to save. That's what happens here with Lydia. She puts her faith in Jesus. She's the only one, Luke tells us, does so down by the river. But then she wants to be publicly baptized to declare, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's washed me white as snow. He's cleansed me from the inside out. And then we see her entire household get saved, which is amazing. Paul and Barnabas, Paul here and Silas and Timmy, they're going to share the Lord with her family. And now every Everybody in her household is going to be saved and her house is going to be one of the areas here in Philippi that is the first location for the church here in modern day Europe. God is just punching a door down here in modern day Europe to start this mission going to the ends of the earth. But church, I want us to really make this connection here. This is our first example of what the light of the Lord is able to do in a person's life. And I want us to take specific note about who it happens to. This woman, Lydia, she is very successful by this world's standards. She has a popular trade that is in high demand. She's got a lot of money. She's even, Luke even tells us she's a worshiper of God, which means she's a seeker like Cornelius. She doesn't yet know the Lord. She hasn't become a proselyte to Judaism, but she's, she's interested. She's seeking out the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. But now here she's come to know Jesus as Lord personally. But I want us to see this because some of us would look at someone like her and say, well, she doesn't lack anything. Right? Well, I need to go to the down and out. And we're going to see the gospel goes to the down and out. But don't overlook the successful people in your life. 
Don't think that the successful people around you don't need the gospel. That is so not true, right? Because their success can't save them, right? Only Jesus can save them. And here's our first example, that light needs to be shined even amongst the successful people around us, even amongst those people who we think has it all, because how we should be, like Paul is, how God is, don't judge from the outside. God is able to look right in and see the heart of the situation, and the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. It has become hardened towards the Lord, and he wants to shine light to bring softness, to bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And that happens to Lydia. So that's our first example here in the text. Now from that, verse 16 says, Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, And cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So here's moving into example number two of where the light is going to be shined and God is going to do a radical work as only he can. The next thing Luke records in Philippi is this encounter with this little girl. Now she's called a, she's called a young girl. She's called a damsel. We get the idea she's probably around 12 to 15 years old. But she is in complete contrast to Lydia who we just talked about. Right, Lydia is on the top of the socioeconomic scale. This little girl, this young girl, she is on the very, very bottom. Right, she has the horrible trifecta of being a, an actual slave to ungodly masters, a slave to sin in darkness, and possessed with an evil spirit. That's the situation that she's in. You think God's light is strong enough to be able to deal with that? Yes. But that's the situation. Now, as all this is taking place, we see this, this demonic wisdom that she's able to possess is able to make her masters quite wealthy. And I just want us to understand that we've seen that. We saw that in the Gospel of Matthew. We see that in the Bible. There is such a thing as demonic wisdom. But I want us to also understand it pales in comparison to godly wisdom, right? Pales, there's no comparison at all. Right? How do we know that? If this demon that is inside this little girl really had the ability to know the future, do you think he would be having her follow Paul around? Right? No. Right? Because she's, this is not going to go well for him. But she can't. She doesn't know the future. This must be some deception going on here. But it's interesting, in verse 16, it says, Now as it happened, as we, probably, Paul, Luke is with them now, the we are author here, Silas, Timothy, this missionary team, as we are going to prayer, this girl starts to follow us. Now, are they going to Lydia's house? Maybe. Are they going down to the riverbed where they initially were praying? Again, maybe. We're not told where they're going, but I like that they we're told they're going to prayer. And I like that we're told this girl is following them. As if there's something about them already happening that is drawing her to the light. I don't know if you ever, before you were a Christian, I don't know if you ever met another Christian and you started watching them like a hawk. There was just something about them. You're like, what's up with them? What, what, what's different? 
I, I know that's happened to me. I know that that's what I did. And I think that's what's happening here. She's, what's going on? The, the light is drawing her in some capacities, or she's following them around. And she has some knowledge, right? She's crying out at the top of her lungs, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. And this goes on for many days, we're told. Now, some of us were thinking, well, hey, that's great, right? Free publicity, right? Who doesn't want this to be said of them when you're walking around the city? And maybe, again, maybe that's what Paul and, and the rest of the missionary team think. This is great. PR, well, this is who we are. We are servants of the Most High God. We are trying to proclaim the way to be saved. Jesus is the way to be saved. And maybe that's what they're thinking. We'll allow this, and we'll see what comes of it. What comes of it? Anything? Do we see if a crowd gathers because they hear her message and wants to hear the gospel? Does anything happen? We're told of zero fruit that comes from the many days that this girl is shouting this out as they follow these missionaries around. We, we say, why? Why not? Why did nothing happen? Because she has the right message, but she's not the right messenger. And that's important, right? If the message doesn't match the messenger, power gets lost. And there's a whole sermon that could be made about the way we want to conduct our lives in such a way that we're following a Jesus that we're actually imitating in the day-to-day life. So she's able to say this. Nobody cares. Oh, yeah, it's that girl again. We know what she's all about. We've got nothing. Right? But what's going to happen here? Paul, I think maybe if, if he's thinking, well, let's see what happens. He's, he's finally going to turn around and say, you know what? God doesn't want someone to stay in bondage procl- proclaiming what he's capable of doing. You know who God likes to use? Someone who was once blind, once in bondage, and has now been set free and can be a living example of what God has done, not just what he's capable of doing. And so this is what happens. Your Paul, I think, finally gets it. God wants to set people free, so he turns around, and the new King James says, in verse 18, it says, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned around. Now listen, catch this. He's not annoyed at the little girl, right? He's annoyed at the spirit inside of the little girl. He's grieved for her. How do we know that? He says, greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit, He didn't say to the little girl, get out of here, little girl. He says, get out of her spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately that spirit departs from her. God's light is able to set her free. Jesus is able to break chains. Jesus is able to shine his light in a girl that has the triple trifecta against her and be able to cast that light out, right? Did he say, turn off your darkness? Or did he just turn on a light and shine it upon her and let darkness flee as darkness flees? That's what takes place here. Now, we don't know what becomes of this little girl. I mean, I like to think this little girl becomes a follower here. She becomes a disciple. She becomes a part of this church. We're not told, so we're just left to speculate. But we do know here she has been set free. And I just want us to grab a hold of it. That's our second example here. Light needs to shine in the successful areas amongst those people. Light also absolutely needs to shine with the down and out. With those downtrodden like this little girl. The gospel message, the message of salvation is able to save even those people who are bound up as much as she was. Please just let the Bible be the Bible and see what God is able to do. If you're here this morning, you, have, you say, I, you have no idea what my life is bound up in. Can I, can I safely say, it's not as bad as her, right? 
Can we agree with that? And if God is able to do that, would you let him do the same in your life? Would you let Jesus be Jesus? Would you let light shine? Let your heart and soul be flooded with light so those chains get broken and you follow after the Lord just like we see he wants us to follow. That's a powerful example, but that's truth. Now what happens here, this is going to set up everything else we're going to read in this chapter. I think that it's amazing here. Her words for many days did not draw a crowd. But silencing her words one time is going to draw a crowd. So look at what happens. Verse 19 says, But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So look at what happens. Verse 19, again, notice, speaking of the little girl, it says, when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, now they care about her. This is a powerful verse, and it's a powerful truth that I know is for someone here on this day. Notice that these masters, they never cared about her at all. They never cared about what she was going through. They didn't care about her bondage. They didn't care about her suffering. They didn't care at all until it started to affect their pocketbook. And I want you to know, that is oftentimes how this world views us. We are only seen as valuable by this world through the value, i.e. the profit we bring to another. But please, 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 please know that is not how God views you. Please know that is absolutely contrary to the way the God of the universe views you. He loves you unconditionally, has decided to love you unconditionally, lay his life down for you from before the foundations of this world were ever even laid. Long before you were knit together by his precious hand in your mother's womb, he said, I will love you. I want to love you. I do love you as a father loves his children, as a creator loves that which he has created. That is powerful, and it's a powerful contrast. But we need to know that because this is, this is how the world works. The world functions in this temporary infatuation. We see this all the time in sports, in music, in mainstream movies. A person is the next big thing until they're not. Right? And then where are they? Right? We've got those, those things that come across our news feeds sometimes. Where are they now? And you're like, oh, they are not in a good place now. Right? And what happens? The world chewed them up and spit them out because their value added stopped becoming the level that it once was. And that's the way these ungodly masters are going to look towards this little girl. But, but what, did, what, did, what did Jesus feel about this little girl before she ever did anything? She was worth dying for. That's her value. Know that that's our value. Worth dying for is what Jesus says. For you, no greater love than this, than one willing to lay his life down for his friends. That's Jesus. That's the love of God, the agape, unconditional, unending love of God. So just note that contrast. 
This is not the way God loves. This is a conditional, contingent upon things, temporary, fleeting facade. And as soon as these masters see this girl is no longer useful, they're upset. They go and arrest Paul and Silas. They seize them with force in the middle of the marketplace. They drag them to the authorities in this city, the magistrates. They start launching accusations against them. These men, these Jews are causing trouble in the city, they say, teaching things that is not lawful for us to follow as Romans. They stir up this multitude in this city. Here's the crowd. This mob forms. And right then and there, in front of this multitude, in the marketplace in Philippi, with this great crowd gathered, they strip Paul and Silas of their robes, their outer robes, and they beat them with rods. Now, in the Jewish legal tradition in this day, we see it oftentimes, it's, there's a limit of how many times you could beat a person, right? We see it's 40 minus 1, or 40 less 1, it's 39 times. But the Romans had no such law. They had no such compassion, so it's likely they get severely beaten beyond that number. Severely beaten, a lot of stripes, and then they're thrown into the innermost part of a prison or the deepest, darkest place in Philippi. Why? All because they came to shine light of the gospel in this area. All because they cared more about the heart and soul and eternal destiny of a little girl than they did anything else. That's what it's resulted for them. And now they're thrown in prison, and we want to know, what are they going to do next? They're going to shine on. Look at this. Verse 25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So here's example number three. Right, we've seen the light of the Lord shine and be effective amongst the successful in Lydia. We've seen the light of the Lord shine amongst the down and out with this young little girl. Now we're going to see the light of the Lord shine in the darkest place you could possibly imagine inside this city of Philippi. What we've seen, they're beaten, they're publicly shamed, they're thrown into prison, their feet are in stocks. We're told it's now midnight, pitch dark. You can't see anything. And what are they doing? They're singing and praying. They're making their requests and supplications known to God. They are making them with praise and thanksgiving. This can be said, this is the first Christian concert in history and it literally shakes the foundations of this place. But that's what God is able to do. We want to say, well, how? What in the world could compel these guys to be singing in the situation that they're just at? 
What about the light that has flooded their own hearts? What about the eternal position they have in Christ that no person, no situation, no institution could ever take from them? What about the rejoicing over everyone in this city now knows the God of the universe is able to set people free and they're all talking about it because that was a huge scene and now they're arrested. Whatever the case may be, they are rejoicing and they are praising, lifting their voice or in other words, they are just shining uncomprehendable light in the darkest place in Philippi. And what happens? All the other prisoners are hearing this and listening. Right? They're thinking, uh, prisoners don't usually respond to this. This is not the way. We hear moaning, we hear groaning, we hear a whole lot of complaining. But how often do we hear praise and thanksgiving and worship? And think about that for our own lives. What are the people around you, Christian, hearing the most? Groaning, moaning, complaining, or praising and thanksgiving? Right? That's light that is to be shined and it's impactful. What's going to happen is this foundation is going to be shaken here and we're going to see this earthquake is going to open doors and loosen chains, but miraculously nobody wants to leave. Right? Who doesn't want to leave when a prison door gets shaken? I think only the people who want to stay in the light that is manifesting in this place, why go out into a dark world when it's being manifest right here? So they all stay. Now the prison guard, he's awoken by this shake and he sees the doors are open. He thinks the prisoners are going to escape and he was charged to keep them, to lose them, to have a prison escape on his watch means his own life. So he's just going to, he's going to take his own life into his own hands. He's going to draw his sword and take his life. And that's when Paul says, no, no. Think about that. What if Paul could have said, yeah, take, yes, that would make it a lot easier for us to get out of here. But he says, no. Why, why? Because he cares about this man. He cares about his very soul. He cares about his eternal destination. He cares about him like God cares about him. Right? Our example, Lydia, the young girl. God cares about this Roman soldier. God cares about this Roman guard. God cares about this government official. God cares about him. He cares about every single soul on the face of the earth. God loves people. And so, so does Paul. He says, no. And then Paul says, we're all still here. And we're like... God made Paul the prison warden at this point, right? He's saying, everybody stay here. We're going to hang out. God's going to use us for life. But it's like God has put Paul in control as a prisoner because God is really in control. And a servant of the Lord, who can be against us if God is for us? So even in this situation, he's walking in this light. But this prison guard is going to ask the greatest question that ever can be asked, the question we all need to answer in ourselves, what must I do to be saved? Right, Paul's not only said no to save his physical life, but now Paul's going to give the answer that leads to eternal life. And look at the simplicity, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in his finished work. Believe what he did for you and you will be saved. Now this is all taking place in the innermost part of the jail with a tiny little lamp as this guy's trembling. So don't think for a second that God can't shine light in the darkness of a place that you, you may find yourself in. I hear people say, and listen, I get it. I am not denoting this at all. But I would say, you don't know where I live. You don't know where I work. You don't know what I'm going with. You don't know the darkness that I'm up against. Listen, it is probably dark. You're not being called to turn off the darkness. You're being called to turn your light on in that place. 
just like we see how prayer, thanksgiving, sharing the gospel, being risen, re- ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, living your life visibly. Christian, that's the gift of the power we've received in Christ. The same power that has raised Jesus from the dead has been given to us. We can walk by the Spirit. We can walk in the light. That's what we're seeing happen here. And all these examples, this guy here, this prison guard, this is incredible, all on the same night, he's going to take this guy to his own house. Paul and Silas, he's going to tend to their wounds, their stripes from being beaten. While they're there, they're going to take advantage of preaching the word to his whole household. They're all going to get saved. They're going to get baptized on this night. And this guy says, hey, let me make you some food. They're eating at this guy's house. All on the same night, right? That's radical. It's an incredible night. But it's incredible light. We have an incredible light to shine. God is really able to do these things in this our day today. Let your light shine. But all three of these examples, we've seen an affluent businesswoman get saved. We've seen a possessed slave girl get saved. Now we've seen a Roman soldier, a Roman prison guard get saved from top to bottom and everywhere in between. The light of the Lord is able to shine and chase the darkness away. That's what's going on. So Christians, shine on, shine your light. Now, after all this, they're going to go back to the prison, probably going to go back to that place, and willingly put their legs back in the stocks. Talk about submission to authorities. This is amazing. But they're ultimately submitting to the Lord. But this is what happens. Verse 35, And when it was day, the next day, the magistrates sent the officer saying, Let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they want to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told them these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid, and when they heard that they were Romans... Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So the next day, seemingly unaware of what took place that night, the magistrates, the authorities, those who arrested and had Paul and Silas beaten, they come down and they say, hey, we have had a change of heart. We should just let these guys go. Hey, send word down. See if they're willing just to sweep this under the rug. Let's let bygones be bygones and just see if they'll leave this city quietly. Paul says, no way. You shamed us, uncondemned Romans, without a trial. We want you to come down, right? Listen, they don't want restitution. They're not, they're not saying vengeance is ours, but what they want is to preserve their testimony. What you did publicly, what, it, what you did publicly gave the God we serve a bad name. We're not here as rebel rousers. We're not here to try and start an uprising. We're here to shine light. So you come down yourselves. We want to maintain the work that God's doing in Philippi, and then we'll go. And even then, they don't go immediately, right? They go to Lydia, they encourage the brethren there, and then they depart when God says it's time. But what a trip to Philippi. What an amazing thing that we've seen here. These three examples. God showing us His light can shine anywhere. And hopefully, Christians, us seeing that His light ought to be shined everywhere. That's our gift. That's our privilege. That's our opportunity. But as we close this out, let's, let's prepare our hearts for communion. But let's remember the basic attributes about light. Let's remember that they're similar. That without light, 
If you cut the source off from light or people put blinders on, you can't see anything. Right? You're not able to see the things around us. And that is, that is the situation for so many people who live around us. Maybe even some people in this fellowship right here and now. The darkness seems to be winning. The darkness of despair. The darkness of doubt. The darkness of death. And we want to, we ought to, we have some light to shine. We have some things that can help the people around us. And so let's ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I can shine light this week. Lord, show me where light needs to be shined today. Let's not even have to wait for tomorrow if there's someone in here to allow some light to shine. We want to pray. And then we're going to pass communion out. We have some songs to worship. But after you get that that bread, that, that juice, please hold it. We'll partake of it together as a body. But let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, you are so glorious. God, you dwell in what you say is unapproachable light. You dwell in in such a place. You exist. Your person is, is without spot, without blemish, without shadow. God, you are light. You are perfect. And yet, God, you're willing to come and dwell with us, imperfect people. God, you're willing to come. And when we're in your presence, God, you're able to chase things away. And God, for every single heart here, there is not a single person in here, myself included, that doesn't need your light, your perfect light, in your love, according to your grace, to chase away some darkness. God, darkness can find its way to creep into our lives, and we say in Jesus' name, light be greater. Break chains where chains need to be broken this morning, King Jesus. Chase darkness away where it needs to be chased away in Jesus' name this morning. God, if there's anyone in this place who doesn't yet know you, Father, I pray that they would believe, Jesus, you are Lord. You died for our sins. You rose again from the grave. And you are able to save from the successful place, from the pit. God, maybe just in the middle, just doing our thing. God, you're able to save. You are salvation. So Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Draw our hearts to heed the things that we just read, the things that we just heard. We believe you and want to enter into fellowship with you now and always. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand with us? Actually, you can't. Stay seated. seated. Stay meditating while the elements come around. And I hear the Savior's I Child of weakness, watching
Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For this I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's give thanks for this bread. Father, we, we look at this bread, and we look at the, the holes in it. God, it was pierced as you were pierced. It's, it's bruised because you were bruised. It's striped because you were striped, Lord God. And by your stripes, we have been healed. And so, God, I pray no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You have done away with sin. You became sacrifice sufficient for us. You're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so we take this bread and we remember your glorious work on a cross. Let's take the bread, church. He says, in the same manner... He also took this cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we lift the cup. And God, we remember your word, your perfect pattern, the scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin, for it is in the blood that's the life. And God, you poured out every last drop of your blood for us. The purchased redemptive price to save us, to bring us into relationship with you, the new covenant. God, we love that and we rejoice over that. And we take this cup in remembrance of what you and you alone, Jesus, have done. You are our righteousness. You are salvation. You are our hope. We love you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Oh, amen, church. Why don't you stand with us? we got one more song. Kids are fine. Kids are doing great. A little overtime today, but it's a great song. I don't want to miss the opportunity to worship with you.